Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Am I on? Good morning. Good to see you all. Um, just good morning. My name is Eric. I'm the pastor here. I just want to say uh, as well, good morning to all those online. Uh, Rachel Jones, Ethan, good to see you watching. Uh, the Lamsels, Stapletons, who else is online? Uh, Matt's mom is watching. Mike Berg, uh, Morgans, yes, Matt's mom. Kelly, good to see you. Stapletons. So if you're watching and, and uh, you haven't logged on online on Facebook, just say hi. We'd like to know that, that you are here with us in the room. Um, so good morning. And if there's something in today's message that really speaks to your heart, put it in the chat so that other people know. Um, yeah, just, we're glad that you are here this morning. Why don't you stand for the reading of God's word? We're in this series called Redeeming Love. We're going through the book of Ruth. We love going through books of the Bible and just saying, hey, what does God's eternal word have to speak for us today? And I think this is just a wonderful book that, even though the story takes place 3,000 years ago, is so relevant for our world today. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you that you are here with us in this place, that you are the king of kings and that you have come to meet with us here. So, Lord, I just pray that each and every one of us would receive from you what you want us to receive, that we could release over to you the things we need to give over, whether that's our anxiety, our depression, our fear, our greed, our lust, whatever those things that are holding us back from the life that you want for us, God, I pray that we just release those to you, and we'd be able to receive from you the truths that will truly set us free to live and follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. When Chris and I first got married, I was a youth pastor, which means I was a pastor to students. Uh, I'd hang out with adults as well, but really my primary responsibility was pouring into and shepherding teenagers from 6th through 12th grade. And one of the things I wanted to do was get our teens out of suburbia in Colorado, in Denver. And so we did a mission trip down to Denver, where we did a lot of just great activities with the kids from the suburbs, just kind of getting them out of their comfort zone. And one of the amazing ministries we had a chance to connect with was a place called the Joshua Station. Of course, it's called the Joshua Station. But really what it was, they bought an old motel in downtown Denver and converted it into transitional housing for families who were homeless and trying to get back on their feet. And you'd really be there um, at least 
three months and up to 18 months. And so this is a picture of us. Uh, it's a little grainy because it's back in the olden days before we had HD cameras and stuff. Uh, that, there's me. Kristen's on there somewhere, I think. Uh, oh, there, down there, yeah. And uh, this is the teenagers we took to the Joshua Station. This is actually the place. And it was so good for our kids to see that, uh, to learn about people who are in need and saying, hey, these are families. Uh, there's always at least one parent and kids and who are in need, possibly, of, of a job and community and fellowship and love and all these things. But it's really hard to find those things if you're just wondering where you're going to get your next meal and where you're going to spend the night. And so this was a place where families could go and apply and get transitional housing where they could stay and not have to worry about uh, you know, where they're going to sleep that night and not have to worry about you know, their kids having to move schools because they're moving around different shelters and, and then able to have some food. Because what they told our kids was, again, you have to get those kind of first, very primary needs met first. Food, shelter. Before you can really get to some of your more important needs, which is you know, the need of, of having meaning and, and community and spiritual fulfillment. See, we all seek something. We all seek different things. We seek the means to, to earn a living or to provide for ourselves. We seek acceptance and companionship, maybe a life partner. We seek out career opportunities, the joy of having kids and raising a family. We seek spiritual fulfillment and a connection to the divine. However, that search for food is the most basic search of all. And for some, those in very, very poor conditions or perhaps in a war-torn area of the, country, of the world or refugees, it can be a never-ending daily obsession that takes precedence over everything else. Just where are we going to get our next meal? And for them, seeking food is that most basic form of the struggle to stay alive or to keep their kids alive. And this is where we find Ruth and Naomi in the situation where they have come from Moab, a country next to Israel and Judah, and they've traveled back to Bethlehem, a little town of Bethlehem, but they have no job, they have no food, they have no community. So they're in need of all these things. But the most important thing that needs to be met first is their need for food and for sustenance so they don't starve to death. The reality is we all have different needs. And sometimes we might not even be aware of our deepest needs, which is a need to connect with our creator, to connect with others, because maybe we haven't had those most basic needs of food or shelter met yet. If you're taking notes this morning, if you've got a note sheet, I want you to write this down. If you're on needs, uh, if you're watching online, write this down. That your need is God's opportunity. That your need is God's opportunity. See, here's the thing. Here in the West, in the 21st century, a lot of times we don't like to admit that we have any needs. It's just like, hey, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. This is such a common thing. I can't tell you how many times I've grabbed coffee with someone. I've reached out to someone on the phone. I've texted them been in a small group setting, and hey, what's going on in your life? What can I be praying about for you? No, no, I'm good, man. No prayer requests. Because I think we don't want to admit that we actually have needs. We want to be strong. We don't want to feel like, you know what, God's got more important things to, to handle, that, to, to worry about. You know, my little stuff, it's, it's not a big deal. But the reality is, we are his kids, and everything's a big deal to him. He wants us to bring it because our needs is God's opportunity. God's opportunity to show up in a big way in our lives, to, to, to bless us, to, to say, hey, I'm here for you. So this morning, whatever need you have, whether that's just the need to connect with your spouse more, 
Whether it's the need for a job, need for healing, maybe some restoration in a relationship, just a sense of, hey, I need wisdom for this next step to take in my job or dealing with this employee. Bring that need to God. Because your needs, my needs, is an opportunity for God to show up and do something in our lives. So Ruth and Naomi, they show up and, and they have all these needs that we have. They desired all the same things that we desire. They, they needed acceptance, love, family life, wholeness. But the issue was being able to feed themselves. How are they going to be able to feed themselves so they don't starve to death, so they can get everything else that they need? And begging would be an unbearable humiliation for these ladies. But fortunately, they find themselves back in Bethlehem and Judah in an environment where God's law, the law of Moses that had been laid out, gave provision for people just like them, for the foreigner or the sojourner, the refugee, the, the immigrant, the poor, the widows. And, and this law stated that the wealthy or even the middle class needed to make provision for people just like Ruth and Naomi, uh, especially at harvest time. Here's how Leviticus 19.9 says it. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. This is like the crops that fall down after you, uh, you've been gathering up your crop and then a little bit falls on the ground. They're saying, hey, no, no, leave some of that behind. The last 5%, 1%, 10%, whatever it might be, so that those who are poor, those who are needy, don't have to beg, but they can come behind your workers and glean for themselves and get enough so they don't starve to death. And here's how Deuteronomy says it. When you reap your harvest in the field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. This is kind of a two-way thing here. God is saying, hey, if you want to get blessed in your business, in your work, in your career, here's a way to do that. The gods can bless you by just leaving a little behind so that the sojourner, the widow, the fatherless can have the dignity of working for themselves and having the opportunity to provide for themselves. So gleaning for Ruth and Naomi may not have been a whole lot better than begging, but at least it was a form of work and they could retain their dignity. And it gave the wealthy and the middle class that opportunity to show generosity in a way that then God could bless them and their business, their fields, their work. So Ruth asked Naomi permission, hey, we're in this new land, and, and I've heard about this thing called gleaning, and, and can I go do this so we don't starve to death? And Naomi, at this point in the story, we talked about this last week, how she said, hey, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because I'm not in a good place. And she said, I, I came back empty, and Ruth's standing there right beside her. What do you mean empty? You got me at least. And to Naomi, at this point, she's just, she's just depressed. She doesn't have much. And really all she can say is just kind of three words to Ruth. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. You can also translate that grace. Just keep that in mind as we go this morning. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Again, Naomi's at this place where she's been beaten down. She's grieving. She's hurting. She's depressed. She's bitter. All she can say is, Go, my daughter. We said last week that even though Naomi was empty and bitter and depressed, at least she came home, and God welcomes her. So this morning, if you're here, 
If you're watching online and you're a place where you're just tired, you're worn out, you're depressed, you're bitter, that's okay. We're going to see. God's welcoming Naomi and God's seeking after her, even though she doesn't have the energy to seek after him herself. So the first thing we can kind of see is that in this cultural context, there's a risk to Ruth to go out and glean among these workers. She's a single woman, doesn't have a clan to protect her, and she's also a foreigner. And so she's going to go into these fields, hoping that the workers don't assault her or do anything bad to her. And Naomi, if she was not at a place of, of being super depressed, probably would have realized this and been like, hey, hey Ruth, make sure, watch out, you know. But she's at a place she can't do that. So she's just kind of laying there. But this shows Ruth's strength of character and determination to support Naomi, whatever the risks she makes. We see this, Ruth has high character. Naomi took care of her. Naomi's a wonderful woman that Ruth said, hey, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. So now it's Ruth's turn to say, hey, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to show good courage. Whatever risk it might be, I'm, I'm going to help us out here. I can only imagine what Ruth was feeling as she shows up to a place she doesn't know anyone. And she's kind of like, which field out of all these fields? I guess I'm going to pick that random field that God has nothing to do with me directing my steps. We're going to see that's not true. And, and, and she's like, how am I going to be treated? What's going to happen here? But little does she know that God is looking out for her and directing her steps. Verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she just happened to come. This is like the author saying, like, just happened to be total coincidence, not really, to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And remember, Naomi's husband was of the clan of Elimelech. So there's some relationship here. First thing I notice when I see this is the word the reapers. And as I was studying this week, I was like, doesn't that totally sound like an 80s hairband? The reapers. And so from now on, the rest of this morning, I want you to picture the reapers in like ripped denim jackets and like hair band, hair metal and uh, headbands and stuff. And just, it'll make this morning a lot more fun. So there you go. That's the reapers. Second thing we notice is, uh, uh, oh, yeah, hang on. We're going to go back and uh, verse three. Here. Yep. So she's, uh, wow, where am I lost? And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. So Ruth's in the field. Boaz, who owns the field, he comes up and he's talking to his workers. And we learn something about Boaz's character as he had how he treats his employees and how they respond. You learn a lot about someone about how they talk, amen? And especially to their employees. How many of you have a boss who walks in and blesses you? How many of you would like a boss who walks in and blesses you with their words, right? Let's be a boss like Boaz. Someone who speaks life and blessing over our employees. We want to be like Boaz. If you're a team leader, if you're a manager, whatever it might be, speak truth and blessing over your employees like Boaz. So what we learned about him, he's apparently a godly Israelite. He has the respect of his workers. They're, they're blessing him back. And then he goes to meet with his supervisor who's overseeing the fields. And he sees this woman. He's like, catch his eyes. Like, who's that woman over there? I, I don't know. She's not from around here. Verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, uh, the supervisor, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Now, a couple things we learn here. First, supervisor sounds a little bit like a racist. So he makes a double point to say, hey, she's not from around here. She's a Moabite. She's from Moab. She's a Moabite. She's not from around here. But 
uh, Boaz is given a lot to think about. Ruth is young. She arrived with Naomi, possibly related to her. She's poor, which is why she's gleaning. She's humble and courteous. She politely asks permission, hey, can I glean here? And, uh, and she's hardworking. We see this in the next verse. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She's courteous. She's polite. She was asking. Even though the law commanded them to do this, she's still asking. She's hardworking. She's been working all day long. But she is a Moabite. Now, for us, we're like, oh, what's the big deal? This is a serious hurdle for Boaz to overcome. First, it's Ruth's ethnicity. See, Israel's relationship with Moab was a complicated one that went all the way back to the time of Abraham. But the bottom line was that God placed a permanent ban on the Moabites from entering into the assembly of the Lord. Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. No Ammonite or Moabite, this is Ruth, may enter the assembly of the Lord. This is like their community, their worship, the temple, the, the, the tabernacle at this point. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. 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 Sandlot friends, right? So Boaz knows this. Forever. Moabites are not allowed in because they, they seduced our ancestors to worshiping their false gods, which, again, we're like, what's the really big deal? Well, when they're like, you got to sacrifice your child on this altar to appease these false gods. It's a big deal. And so God is like, hey, don't get mixed up with these people. So forever, don't be involved with them. So this is a little bit complicated. However, the world can be changed by brave women. Amen? Can I get an amen? Thank you. Boaz grew up with an amazing example. Something I never got until this week. I texted a few of you. I was like, how did I not know this? Like, I have my master's degree in biblical theology. I've been in church since I was born. Like, I read my Bible every day. And this never fully clicked. Matthew 1, 1 through 3. This is how the New Testament starts. The genealogy of Jesus. And Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, his daughter-in-law. That's a little sketchy. And Perez the father of Hezron. And Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab the father of Nashon. And Nashon the father of Salmon. And Salmon the, fa- the father of Boaz by Rahab. If you know who Rahab is, there's a story in the book of Judges, in the book of Joshua, uh, two books before this. The Israelites are getting ready to move into the promised land. And the mighty walls of Jericho, the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And these spies go in to check out the this, this, this city and what's going on there. And these two spies meet this harlot or prostitute, a woman of the night named Rahab. She's a Canaanite. They were commanded by the Lord, wipe out all the Canaanites. Because again, they have horrible religion, sacrificing your children, just doing evil awful things. There was no, uh, is only the rule of the might, no taking care of, of the, the little ones. And so uh, there was no prisons. And so God's answer is like, you know what? We can't have a prison system. I don't want you to be influenced by them. These people are so evil. We just got to wipe them out. So this, is, this is Rahab. She's one of these Canaanites. She's a prostitute. But she hides the spies. She puts her hope and trust in the God of Israel. And she gets adopted into the Israelite family. Then she marries a nice young man, 
no longer a prostitute named Salmon, and together they have Boaz. What? <laughs> That's so cool! Boaz's mom is a foreigner. Boaz's mom was not an Israelite virgin when her dad married her. Now Boaz meets Ruth, a foreigner, a widow, not a virgin. How cool is that that she just happened to stumble upon his field? Your testimony is going to open doors. Where God has brought you, what he's done in your family, in your story is going to open doors. See, I believe God knew Boaz was the perfect person for Ruth to bump into and to go to his field. God has been preparing this. And your story too. God's going to use your testimony to open doors, to, to bless others, maybe because of something your mom did, something your dad did, whatever it might be. Your testimony is going to open doors. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. And I love this, that uh, in this scene, you kind of picture uh, Ruth, maybe she's been gleaning, uh, and, and then she sees the owner come up, and, and now Ruth, maybe she's going to leave the field because some stuff has been going on. And Boaz talking to the supervisor. He's a little bit racist, maybe a little bit, because he talks about her being a Moabite twice. And now Boaz is going to ignore her supervisor, and instead he's going to talk to the young lady, the foreigner, who typically maybe you wouldn't have addressed directly. A lot of people maybe passive-aggressively would have talked to the supervisor about the woman, but instead he's going to address the woman, give her dignity and worth. Then Boaz says to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. He's like, hey, don't go to some other field, because I know not everyone is like me. Some are going to take advantage of you, so don't go to those fields. Stay in mine. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Now, maybe there was something going on here. Maybe they were uh, getting a little physical with her. I don't know. But he's like, now I'm telling them, don't touch her. And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. This is a big deal. Back then, women would have drawn the water for the men. And especially a foreigner would have had to go to the well, get their own water, maybe get water for some of the men and then for themselves. And he's like, no, 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 no. Hey, you drink the water that my guys are bringing. You don't have to go to the well. You don't have to, to take a break in your gleaning to go, go get some water. You can have their, their water. It, it sounds like maybe, maybe when Bola shows up, Ruth was getting ready to leave because something was said or done to her by some of the workers. And he's like, no, no, no stay here. He dresses her directly. He's given her dignity and worth, and he's concerned that other guys aren't like him. And here's how Ruth responds. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor, can we translate as grace, in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Interestingly, nothing is said about Ruth's appearance. Whether or not she's beautiful appears irrelevant to Boaz. What has impressed him is her character. Ruth is a woman who's suffered and showed uh, resolution, loyalty, and courage. She's shown kindness and love to her mother-in-law. This is what Boaz finds so impressive about Ruth and what moves him to show loving kindness to her in return. 
kindness, answering kindness. But there's more here. Something has taken precedence in his mind over her foreigners, foreignness. Ruth has not just left her native land, but she's left her foreign gods. We can almost see the wheels turning in Boaz's mind at, at this point. Like I said, Moabite, they've been pla- placed under a ban of e- eternal exclusion for seducing the Israelites into worshiping their gods and evil, horrible practices. But what of a Moabite who abandons her gods to worship the God of Israel, to find shelter under the wings of the Lord, under Yahweh? Well, what if she's also poor and alien and a widow, the ones that the law of Moses commanded him to protect? What does it mean to truly keep the commandments of God? What does it mean to, could Boaz look after someone like that and, and actually embrace her? Which one of God's commandments takes precedence here? We're going to talk about this in a little bit too. Verse 13, then she said, I have found favor or grace in your eyes, my Lord, for you've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. And at mealtime, so now I'm taking a break at dinner to, to come together for a meal, and typically, you know, owner, he'd be here with maybe his top workers, and then people like, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the poor, the widows, the orphans, they'd be kind of on the edges, maybe eating a little bit. But he says, hey, come here, come to the table, have some bread, and drip your morsel in the wine. And I picture like a, just a really good Italian feast. What? Typically, when uh, someone who would go to glean in, in the fields, they would have about enough to fill their two pockets. So a uh, lot of grain, she, excessive wealth she comes home with. Um, and, and so uh, and she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Naomi was like, what? How do you get 30 pounds of grain? Like, this is crazy. We're hoping for just enough to eat tomorrow. And she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over from that nice dinner that she'd had, the Italian food, the bread, the oil, the wine, after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And this is where, I, where the music's like, bah, bah, bah. what? Because what? she's telling the whole story, and she doesn't say the name of the guy until right then. Really good writing. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, whoa, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness is not forsaking the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of the redeemers. And again, tension. Dun, dun, dun. All right, so the kinsman redeemer. We talked about this a little bit. Someone who could marry uh, the widow and then uh, could, could have their land and, and redeem them. Boaz is one of the redeemers. He's not the closest one. We'll find that out next chapter. But he's one of the redeemers. So we got a little bit of, 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 of uh, some tension here. The tension is going to build. And Ruth the Moabite said to her, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. You kind of get this picture of like Naomi like waking up, and she's got some hope now, and she's like, Oh, my word. How did I not tell you? Like, like there's some risk here. There's different fields that you could have been assaulted at. Like, the Lord bless you that you found a field by a great generous, godly man like Boaz. Don't go in any other field. Stay in this one. He's going to take care of you. You can see her kind of like waking up here. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. All right, read that real like, okay, it's a big deal. All right, this is about two months. It would have ended at Pentecost is when their harvest time would have ended. So 
what we see at the kind of the epilogue of chapter two is at the end of the day, nothing really has changed for Ruth and Naomi. Ruth is still living with her mother-in-law two months later. They have their immediate need of food met, but the long-term need of protection, of provision, of, of perhaps a husband for Ruth, uh, of a place to, to, uh, to live and to, to grow old in, hasn't happened yet. So two months later, what we see is Ruth's been going every day to the fields. Perhaps Boaz is the owner. He's coming in. He's bumping shoulders with, with, with Ruth. But they had their first meet-cute, like in a, you know, in a movie. But then now, two months later, nothing's happened. Boaz is probably a lot older than Ruth. And he's like, ah, oh, this young woman, I'm not going to touch her. I'm not going to pursue her. He's not doing anything. And for two months, she's working. Nothing's happening. Nothing is changing. And so the question is, will something ever develop between Ruth and Boaz? Will their situations ever change? We don't know. Stay tuned for next week, right? But Ruth and Naomi make, made this wonderful heart-stopping, surprising discovery at the end of chapter 2 that God has been seeking them. That it wasn't just by chance that Ruth ended up in this field by a great guy who's going to take care of her. It also happens to be one of their redeemers. There's a Hebrew word called chesed that is important to understand the book of Ruth. Now, you have to say it with some stuff in your throat. So why don't you say that with me? You got chesed. Don't say chesed. That's not it. Come on, you can do better. Chesed. You can actually even picture, sometimes people will rewrite down in English with a K in front of the H. And chesed, it can be translated as loving kindness, loyal love. There's really not a single English word that can do justice to it. But this is important to the, to the whole book of Ruth, as well as really the whole Bible. It refers to an act performed for the benefit of a person in real and desperate need in the context of a deep and enduring commitment between the parties concerned. One theologian I was reading this week said, it's perhaps the most important word in the entire Bible. Chesed. You should take notice of this. It appears in the Bible 243 times. It can mean mercy, grace, compassion, kindness, loyal love, loyal kindness. In Psalm 63.3, King David writes this, who's, spoiler alert, the great-grandson of Ruth. Because your chesed is better than life, my lips will praise you. Jesus, as a Jewish rabbi, he says, what's the most important command? Chesed God and chesed others with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is what Boaz is showing towards Ruth. It's loving kindness. It's what Ruth is showing to Naomi, this loyal love, and what God is showing to them. And this is really the picture of the whole Bible, of God pursuing us, showing loyal love, showing loving kindness to us. So today as we wrap up, three lessons for us today in our context. Show Chesed, show loving kindness in the workplace. What I love is Boaz showing this kind of loving kindness to Ruth doesn't happen in the temple. It doesn't happen in a spiritual or religious place. It happens in the workplace. Most of us, a lot of us, have jobs in workplaces. We can show this chesed, this loving kindness to people. It's dignity. It's saying, hey, 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 I see you, someone who's born in another country. 
You have worth and value. Hey, guys, knock it off. Stop hooting at her. Stop catcalling. That's not what we do around here. We know Boaz treated his workers well. He spoke blessing to them, and they blessed him back. I really don't think that's just an incidental detail. Like, the author here of Ruth, he's judging every word, and the fact that he put that story in there, he means something. That Boaz really was the kind of boss in the workplace who showed chesed. And so whether you have a team of people around you, whether you're an employee or a business owner, or you're just another coworker, we can show this in the workplace, in, in other environments, not just here in this place. Number two, uh, going back one little thing, the whole idea of just as, as men, and I know gender can be weird, whatever, like we really do need to look after women. This has been a stat that's been, I've read this for about 20 years now, so perhaps even worse now, but again and again I read this, one third of all women will encounter some kind of sexual or physical violence. If you look around here, just kind of one out of three. And in pastoring, I know that's about true. Guys, that's not acceptable. <laughs> and, and it's actually about one out of four uh, boys before they turn 18 will have some kind of assault as well. That's not okay. We gotta be like Boaz. We gotta look after those who are weaker than us. Those who don't have as much power or influence as us, and to steward what we have to show chesed, to show loving kindness. All right. Number two, applying the commands of God in the messy business of life requires great wisdom for us. Again, Moabites, not allowed in forever. But here's this Moabite. She's a widow. She's poor. She's a foreigner. And Boaz says, hey, I think this trumps that. And what we can see at the end of the book, when blessing upon blessing happens to Boaz, that God looks at him as a law keeper, not a law breaker. And Boaz chose what was more important, to show the chesed of God to this woman. Those commandments about the Moabites, they were there for a purpose and a reason to keep them safe from harm. But this command to show love was more important. Here's the thing. Sometimes, as followers of Jesus, we can get too trapped in just the black and whites and just saying, hey, hey, this is what the Bible says. Don't do this. You know, like growing up for me, it was like, don't, don't smoke, uh, don't drink, don't chew, don't date girls who do. That was what we said, you know. Uh, you know or, or, you know, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes may not send you to hell, but it'll make you smell like you've been there. What are these horrible things that I was taught as a kid? Like, that, God doesn't care. I'm sorry. He really doesn't. Does he... Does he care that you're showing chesed? That you're showing love and looking out for the vulnerable, for the weaker ones. And so we need wisdom. This is why I implore you, spend time every day in God's word. This is how we grow in wisdom. Be in a group of people, whether it's a community group, whether it's an online group, whether it's a Bible study, once a month, a group of business leaders, where you are growing in your wisdom and how to apply the commands of God so that you can have wisdom to know what is most important. And then third, God welcomes seekers. I changed it from rewards to welcomes because I wanted them all three W's. So 
God welcomes seekers. Whether they seek resolutely, I love that Kim just got it. Like, oh, LW is nice. There you go, see? Whether you're a seeker like Ruth, that you're seeking with all your heart and mind and you're looking after what, what's next, God is going to show up and meet you there. Whether you're like Boaz, you didn't even know you're looking and you're a little confused, oh, what, who's this woman? I don't know what's going on. Whether you're like Naomi, you can barely get out of bed. God welcomes you. And what we find is that God has already been seeking us. And the treasure he has hidden in the field is none other than a redeemer. Someone who is able to meet our deepest needs. And Ruth, out in the dirt of the field, met someone she wasn't expecting to meet. When I look at the story of the Bible, I see a few times that God meets people in the dirt. God gets down in the dirt when he creates Adam and he breathes life into him. When Moses, his servant, dies alone on a mountain, not allowed in the promised land because some mistakes he made, Deuteronomy tells us that God then buries Moses with his own hands. As Jesus, God in the flesh, shows up. And the woman caught in adultery is thrown at his feet naked. And what does he do? He gets in the dirt and he writes down some things and says, hey, he who was without sin cast the first stone. And as they all leave, Jesus in the dirt with this woman says, neither do I condemn you. And then Jesus, the man who comes to him blind, he gets down, he spits in the dirt, he rubs that mud on that man's eyes and he's healed. God meets us at those moments of birth, of death, of shame, when we need to be healed. God's not afraid of your dirt. He'll meet you there where you most need him. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you that you meet us in the dirt and in the realness of life. So God, I pray whether those here today need some kind of birth in their life, whether they're facing some kind of death, whether they need to be met in their shame and guilt, whether there's something that needs healing. God, that you aren't afraid of our dirt. You aren't afraid of the mess. You aren't afraid to get your hands dirty. And you welcome seekers of all kinds. So God, I pray right now that each and every one of us, we would seek you with whatever we can. Whether like Naomi, we can just barely get out of bed and we're, we're hurting and depressed and broken or whether like Ruth, we're seeking with all our hearts. And we would know that the treasure we find is worth more than anything else we're looking for. God, I pray for all the business owners that you would give them the wisdom and strength to be like Boaz, to seek blessing, to, to take good care of their workers, to teach them how to treat others well. And that like Boaz, their work and their and their fields would find an incredible blessing. God, I pray that you would give each and every one of us the wisdom to know how to live out your commandments, to not get so stuck in the black and white and religion and not be like the Pharisees, but in the sense, hey, how, how do we see those who are needy and hurting and, and broken, who are, who are grieving? How do we show love and compassion and grace 
And God, to know that you welcome all seekers of any kind. So be with us now, be with us this week. Let us just be bringers of blessing and grace and to know that you can handle our dirt, you can handle our mess, that you're there with us. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.